Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy... Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. Sort of. <laughs> it's it's definitely more of a Quantum Leap podcast this week than it was last week. <laughs> is it though? I guess. That's my question of sort of Brian, my co-host, who we can all see in here. <laughs> Saddle on boy. boy, oh boy. Brian, how f***ing good is DC's The Flash? All right, I will say that The Flash is better than you've heard it is. I Unless you've heard it from people who saw the movie, most of whom seem to think it's fine, too good. So you've seen it now. Yeah, I did go see it uh, last week. Okay. It took me a little while because of Heroes Con. It opened Heroes Con weekend, big convention here in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. My entire weekend was devoted to that convention. So I did watch The Flash once the Heroes Con dust settled. It's not garbage. No, it is not garbage, despite what you may have heard. It's hard to quantify why it's doing so poorly. And don't get me wrong, folks, it is doing very poorly. (laughs) Yeah. By all (laughs) metrics, it is just bombing. It didn't deserve this. What I can say, I don't think it deserved this, but... Ezra Miller deserves this. Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> so. where I was wondering if do you how much of it do you think is that? I think a smaller degree than I would like. I don't think it's much because I bet yeah. people don't really know about it. Is it just the fatigue? Maybe it's the fatigue, maybe it's the fact that DC hasn't put out a must-see movie since The Batman. Maybe, mm-hmm. and that exists on its own terms like when we're talking straight DCEU movies. Yeah. What was the last must-see DCEU movie? Was it Wonder Woman? Was it Aquaman? I don't know that any of them have been must-see. That's a fair assessment. Like <laughs> I don't very fair. Like honestly, outside of Batman v Superman was must-see and Justice League was probably must-see, but only because those are things that had not happened. Yeah. In yeah. cinema. But since that time building up that universe, none of them have been like must-see. Really? No. And Wonder Woman is the greatest success to come out of that, in my opinion. Easily. Yeah, all I asked for The Flash is to be one of my personal top five DCEU movies, and I think it squeaked out. (laughs) I think it made it. I think it made it. Yeah, there's a lot of bad-mouthing going around that, like, the bad special effects, no, they're not great. (laughs) No, they're not great. I will tell you this. Any movie that starts... With not one, not two, but over a dozen babies falling out a window. Right. A plus in my book. (laughs) One of my friends explained that to me, and I was like, well, now I've got to go see it. That sounds insane. 
I mean, it was silly. They were definitely going for something. <laughs> something cartoony is the way I would put it, I guess. Yes. It's got a very wily e. Coyote Roadrunner right, aesthetic Exactly. To it. And if that's not what you want, then you're going to hate it. And it doesn't look particularly fantastic either. <laughs> so much of this movie is about eating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good, much of it is about way, eating. though, that's one of the things I like about The Flash. Yes. He's constantly having to refill. But, you know, we will get to some facsimile of Quantum Leap here in a minute. But the one thing that I did want to say, as far as the special effects are concerned, none of them were so horrible that I just couldn't watch it. The only thing that really did bother me is when he's running, his legs are not moving proportionally to the amount of speed that he should be. Why is this so hard? Why is Why this is so, hard? so hard to do? It's so I... hard. Okay, so two times on screen that I think a speedster has been portrayed accurately. Okay. The Incredibles. Dash in The Incredibles. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, definitely. The legs move, the camera moves in accordance with the speed. Right. Yeah. Like it's a great portrayal of a speedster. The only other time was in the Eternals when I honestly fell asleep during the Eternals. So well, I then don't you know missed the running the part. Super speed. <laughs> you missed the running part. Yeah. But the super speed on. Whichever Eternal that is. The run fast one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, nope, Comic not Icarus, not Cersei. I'm, what... <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. But but the, the fast funny. running one. That one uh, looked great. Uh, that makes My knowledge laugh. of comics is vast. My knowledge of Eternals is minimal. Yeah. Best. Okay. I'll give you the one that comes to my mind. And I really like The Incredibles bringing that up. I had not really thought about that. But when I was having this conversation before, the thing that I brought up was Smallville. Smallville yeah. is the first time I remember seeing them slow things down to represent that the other person's moving fast. Yes. Fairly certain that's the first time I saw that. We're in his perspective there. From that's another really effective way to do speedster stuff, and we saw it again in Days of Future Past and X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah, right? we With see Quicksilver. it all the time now. Yeah. Run of the mill now. But I feel like that's the first time I saw it, and in most cases when Clark is running fast, he's basically just a blur. That's what they call him for, like, at least three seasons. Yeah. yeah. And that's all you need. Yeah. It's just, like, yeah. all you really need is the setup that he's going to move, a bunch of lightning and some blur, and then where he ended up. You don't need to see, because if he's really moving that fast, I don't need to see him run, and I certainly don't need to see him, like, speed skate or whatever it is that he does with his body when he's running. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's weird. He's got a very weird body movement. And I don't know if they were trying to deliberately do something different than the Flash TV series. Or it's just a choice. Yeah. In summary, part of the problem with the Flash is that I do not believe Ezra Miller's Flash is likable enough to overshadow Ezra Miller, the person. Mm. I find his Flash to be grating and annoying. Yeah. But I do find, uh, what what is her name? Sarah Callie? Or Calais. Calais, maybe, yeah. Uh, Kaye, sure yeah, probably Kaye. I'm probably butchering it. But great Supergirl. Michael Keaton, obviously, you know what you're getting. And yeah, he was good, I thought. He seemed to be having a lot of fun with this. 
Yeah. The biggest thing about The Flash, and the reason I definitely wanted to talk about it at the outset, here we are (laughs) almost 20 minutes into the show bringing this up, but there is a portrayal of time travel and divergent timelines in this movie that I don't believe I've heard before. And I found it very, very fascinating. It took the concept of Back to the Future Part 2 and added a little bit to it, right? Yeah, yeah. So in Back to the Future 2, which we talk about often as being kind of this 100-level time travel course in terms of understanding how a parallel universe might exist. Right. Traveling back in time, altering one thing, and creating a fork in the timeline where a divergent timeline exists. The Flash goes one step further and says there are certain fulcrum points in the timeline that if you adjust something in that timeline, it doesn't just affect what comes later. It also turns on an axis and affects the things that came before it. Right. I don't know how that makes sense, but one, (laughs) it's an interesting take. And two, the movie sticks to those mechanics. So I'll allow it. Right. Like it's explaining, this is how time travel works in this universe. Yeah. And so I'm willing to kind of break it. Basically. It's the reason Michael Keaton, Bruce Wayne is the one that explains this using a great metaphor, which is always what I want to see. It's like Al's ball of string. Yeah. It's hard spaghetti and a bowl of cooked spaghetti that he uses to explain how one divergent timeline can result in a multiverse of swirling noodles, right? And timelines. The sort of focal point of this is that Barry has changed history. He's saved his mother from dying. And then all of a sudden, Batman is somebody totally different. Well, Batman was born before Barry adjusted the timeline. How can this be? Right. Right. And that's how Michael Keaton kind of explains it. It's cool. I thought it was very cool. Like the ball of string. It's clear. Yes. If you actually pay your money and go to the movie, folks, and you actually see the explanation with the dry noodles and then the cooked noodles and this notion that they can run parallel sometimes, but once it's broken, it just kind of a big old mess. In some areas, it'll run concurrently and sometimes it crosses and it ends with a joke that I think lands with with the what's the cheese? (laughs) That's That's a garnish. That's a great joke. (laughs) Yeah, it was a good joke. And there's good comedy in there. I think some of the jokes actually land for me. Some of the jokes land. I will say this. I don't believe a single joke came up in any draft of the script that did not make it into the final movie. Because there (laughs) are plenty of jokes that don't land. But I feel like whatever joke they came up with ended up in the final cut of this film. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, the rules are you go back in time, you break the universe. (laughs) Yeah, that's I mean, really it. That's it. It was kind of an interesting representation of time travel. He gets stuck in the globe or whatever, and everything's mm-hmm. kind of moving around him, and he can kind of see his life in like a coliseum almost. It, it looks yes, like. and uh, yeah. you can see into the past, you can see into the future, and it leads to a pretty interesting climax, I think. Yeah, and it's really, really not that bad. It's not great. A lot of stuff that just gets left on the table, like characters used throughout the movie for no purpose, really. Batman being one of them. Yeah, sort of really. He's just kind of there. He's an expository dump and a nostalgia drip, a steady nostalgia drip. Iris West is another one that is just sort of shoehorned in, like there's not really a reason for her to be there. And then there's a spoiler at the end for anybody that's just kind of, we're changing the ending to this movie. And we don't want any kind of resolution. 
uh-huh. let's end it with a, a joke. So here's why I loved that joke. Are we in spoilers here? I don't think we have to. All I will okay. say, and this might tempt people to watch the movie. Okay. Could there be a bigger middle finger to the Snyder bros out there <laughs> than the way this movie ends? I don't think there can be. I don't think that was the intent. You feel I like don't that's care what, if it was the intent. You really think that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I just kind of love it. If you got a room of writers and people together and we're like, how can we piss off these guys the most? Yeah. You end it the way it ended. I think what the reality of it is, is, okay, well, we can't end this movie the way that it was written and shot. Right, because we're rebooting everything. <laughs> we're right? rebooting it, and the ending doesn't work now, and we can't use actor A any longer. So what do we do? We get actor A++. You know, we'll get some buzz. And uh... I was lucky to go into this movie having no moment of it spoiled for me. So yeah. I did not know what was coming and when. Here's one of the things about the time travel that I thoroughly enjoyed. With the explanation of the fulcrum point, you know, it changes the origin as much as the future. Mm -hmm. I like that the most so that I don't have to assume that this is the actual way Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne played out. Right. This movie does not explicitly state that this is the same Batman we saw in Batman and Batman Returns. Or it is, but yeah. it's been altered by this change to the timeline. Right. It's like the difference between Quantum Leap and Sliders. Are we talking about a parallel world or are we talking about a changed timeline? Right. It's kind of messy that way. Almost like a big bowl of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> But that was one of the saving graces, you know, kind of have your own idea of where that character ended up and you get to see him on screen again, actually being able to move in the suit. Yeah, for once. To a yeah. degree, yeah. Move, move his neck slightly this time. Yeah, yeah. It's great. But yeah, is that where you thought we were going to start with? Oh, 100%. Like, I had to talk about the spaghetti metaphor. Yeah, and it's a good one. It's done well. It's right up there with the bald string and the roulette wheel of sliders. Yeah, yeah it's something that just makes it very clear. It puts it in layman's terms. And that's that's what you got to do. That's all you got to do. The worst thing I can say about The Flash, other than the Ezra Miller stuff, is that it takes a villain that was relatively complex in Man of Steel. Because I do think Michael Shannon's Zod was one of the high points <laughs> of a movie I did not like. Yeah. And it really just reduces him to a, like, Saturday morning villain, right? Like, with just these sort of base motivations, it really does rely on you having seen Man of Steel. Bring your insider knowledge with you if you yes. want to enjoy it. Yeah. Because there's tons of in-jokes, uh, not the least of which is that spoiler at the end. Kevin Smith has a nod in there that is rather large, but if you don't know... Yeah, have no idea. Boy, that is asking a lot of your audience. Like, right. uh, I thought that sequence in particular, you will only really get if you've seen an evening with Kevin Smith or, you know, somebody who's seen an evening with <laughs> Kevin Smith because right. they will tell you this story because it's one of the most batshit insane Hollywood insider stories any of us have ever heard. Story. Yeah. It's a great story. And then you see it on screen and it's like, look, they just did it. They just did the thing. Yeah, and I enjoy that, but then again, that's for me. It's who is this for? It's yeah. just for us. Right. I was sitting in there watching it and I'm like, how many people in this theater right now understand why this is happening on screen? 
Right. It doesn't make much sense unless you you are steeped in this. Yeah. I've heard people complain about all the cameos being worthless and pointless and stuff like that. And I can definitely see that. But when I was watching it, I was more thinking not any one is more canonical than another. Right. It all you know, exists it, in the it's multiverse. very inclusive. And... Yeah, it all exists in the multiverse. And Everything from George Reeves' Superman to, to The Flash. Everything yeah. in between that. And, yep, to Adam West's Batman to, uh, I would assume, some animation even had they gotten there, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I bet if they had seen Across the Spider-Verse first, they would have put some animation in there. So if you're a Super Friends fan, that's canonical. Yep. Jan and Zayna. <laughs> the Wonder Twins. Wonder Twin powers activate. Well, from that big Hollywood production, we went very, very oh small screen with our actual topic for the evening. <laughs> yeah, you, guys. You want to give the folks an idea of what we're talking about? Yeah. Tonight? So when you are starved for Quantum Leap <laughs> content, it's the middle of June. The show is on hiatus. We've got who knows how many months ahead of us with the writer strike oh, going that's on. That's the other thing I did want to mention. That um, yeah. So so what we're talking about today, I am going to call it a passion project. This is the sort of thing didn't exist prolifically until the internet age. I don't think. Mm -hmm. And with the rise of things like DV cameras and most importantly YouTube, it's a fan film, guys. We're going the fan film route this week. We're looking at a film that was produced in 2008 by Rasco Motion Pictures with <laughs> the tagline I scoured the internet for to find any information on Rasco. Good films, luck. And I found next to nothing. There's a character in this show that I couldn't even determine the last name of because I can't find information on this. <laughs> the tagline for this project can Dr. Sam Beckett prevent the most heartbreaking tragedy of the 20th century? And right off the bat, I'm thinking, that is a very bold claim. Yes. Heartbreaking tragedy of the 20th century. Let's just run down a few of the things that happened in the 20th <laughs> century. Okay? Um, we've got the Holocaust. <laughs> the sinking of the Titanic. The assassination of Martin Luther King and John F. Kennedy. And the, Robert F. Kennedy. And Robert F. Kennedy, the Vietnam War, the Challenger explosion. Yeah. All of these things, heartbreaking tragedies. Yes. Pearl Harbor. <laughs> uh, it's a lofty statement, yes. And yet, the most heartbreaking tragedy of the 20th century for the purpose of this fan film is the untimely, definitely tragic death of Princess Diana. Right. In 1997. Uh, and that is the focus of this fan film titled A Leap to Die For. It was written, directed, and produced by Christopher Allen. Again, very clearly a passion project for this guy who loves Quantum Leap. Mm -hmm. It stars a whole host of performers that you have not seen in anything before with one extremely notable exception and we'll come to that, that right? we will we definitely wanna... come to that joshua ramsey as sam beckett ed ernstis as al <laughs> and then a bunch of people as other characters 
the most notable of which is probably a woman named LaDonna Pettyjohn, who plays a character we've seen on the show before and we have talked about recently quite a bit in recent weeks. So yeah. this leap, which takes place after the end of the original series, the date is August 30th, 1997, and Sam Beckett leaps into really just some schlub from Illinois. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's Paris, France is where he uh, leaps in and he leaps in in, I don't know, my personal favorite way, mid-coitus. That's right. With a beautiful woman. Beautiful woman in bed, once again, getting his thing on in a hotel room in Paris. He has leaped into a man whose name I thought was Mark Ewing, but every time somebody pronounces his last name, it just sounds like human. So <laughs> so what I believe was that the script was like Mark Human, like just in parentheses beside it, just to assure you that this is one of the human characters Mark, in this show. He is, in fact, human. He is on vacation in Paris visiting a pen pal lover. In modern parlance, it would be a Tinder hookup, but this is somebody he met via personal ads yeah her name is meredith jameson she's played by an actress named nikki hurl warner she is notably british that becomes important later on but really (laughs) (laughs) old mark human it's hard to say this guy has a lot going for him and i gotta feel the same way about meredith jameson they have met each other for the first time in paris which is a beautiful place so i mean I i love it for them And Sam comes to learn in a a number of interactions with Al that Princess Diana is going to die the next morning. And somehow he has to prevent this, he is led to believe, for some time, Mm -hmm. even though the purpose Mm -hmm. of the leap in, you know, true Quantum Leap fashion becomes a little refocused as the episode continues. Right. That's basically the windup. The other thing I will mention is that evidently Ziggy is running on Windows 95. <laughs> in this in this episode. Okay, so when do we start giving it some credit? Because the one nugget of it that I will say, this is a movie that's bringing back the series too. So yes, yeah, it, it, it is, is in keeping one... with what we've discussed in recent episodes. This is kind of a template for a reboot. For his revival. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Part of the story does revolve on bringing the project out of mothballs. Yes. Getting the funding that they need to say, you know, hey, we don't know where Sam is. He's out there. We need to get it back online. And honestly, that is far more interesting than anything else that happens in this show, we'll call it. Yes, absolutely. In my estimation. Absolutely. The the groundwork that's kind of laid to bring the show back. And the only reason, like I'm sitting there watching it and I started to not glaze over, but I started to get a little bit frustrated with those parts of it just because I know this isn't going anywhere, you know? So I felt like once again, much like new quantum leap, why aren't we spending more time on the leap? Why are we spending so much time with characters in present day? Right. The characters in present day include, of course, Al, the mm-hmm. president of the United States, who is a major character. The question I have is, is that guy playing Obama? 
I thought he was playing President David Palmer from 24, but I mean, maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe he is. I couldn't tell if he was trying to do an Obama or not. I mean, it was it was 2008 this filmed, uh, so it, it stands to reason that they selected a person of color to play the president because Barack Obama was the current president. Right. Thank goodness this was made before the year 2017. There's yeah. only so many orange thespians out there. <laughs> so we've got the president. We have a representative for Project Quantum Leap that talks with a couple of government officials early on about securing funding. Both of them are like, yeah, whatever, toots, we're hitting the road. We don't really know who this person is. She's referred to as doctor by them a couple of times. And it becomes obvious once the project is jumpstarted that this woman is, in fact, Sammy Joe Fuller. Dr. Yeah. Fuller, who has joined Quantum Leap. And is not going by Sammy Joe in this, no. in this continuity. So good for him. Yeah. Yeah. On that one. Yeah. Much better. Much better. Uh, that was an interesting kind of cool ripple there, I thought. Right. Like, where would you put this in relation to even the worst episode of... Okay, here's why it's better than paging Dr. Song. I've spent a okay. lot of time thinking about this today. It is definitely better than that. And there are a lot of things this fan film is trying to pull together. Okay, so this is by the metric of the story and the attempt as opposed to the production value. Oh, yes, 100%. I mean, so I, I, we're, I'm not that's, going to... I guess that's what I was getting yeah. at. We're, we're going to kind of put production value aside. I mean, the, the new show for... is absolutely polished and it looks really good and the actors right. are actors professional actors <laughs> right, right. <laughs> cannot be stressed enough. this was filmed in indiana so not paris as the show would have you believe oh my god no no it was definitely not paris they do have some you know stock footage of yeah. some maybe parisian boats before i derailed you why is this better than paging dr so song? i'm strictly looking at it story-wise i feel like okay. Do paging dr song was overly convoluted. One of our biggest complaints about it was that there was no extant reason for all of these things to be happening simultaneously, and they're not connected in any way that's very satisfying, and mm -hmm. it just ends up being this sort of narrative mess. Yeah. This, this fan film manages to mostly be about two things. The quest to save Princess Diana and the quest to resurrect Quantum Leap. And I think yeah, in both but that's ways, that's not what they want you to think it's about, though. Right by the end. No, no, no. They I, the one of the things I noted was that the ending really reminded me of Lee Harvey Oswald, right? The Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. two-parter. Okay, where sure. the whole time Sam and Al and everybody is led to believe that Sam is leaping into Lee Harvey Oswald to stop the Kennedy assassination. And by the end of all of it, we discover, spoilers, that in the original history, Jackie Kennedy Onassis died, and right. she is saved by Sam. So it's kind of a cool play on a historical event that we all remember. Right. Similarly, because of that, we know that Princess Diana can't survive this leap. She cannot live, because we've right. seen how this works. Like, for us in the real world... Real world events still happen, right? Right, right, right. And they are going to comport with what we remember. But there is a small change to Diana's history that is made by the end of this. That is, I think, 
kind of clever. I think it's a kind of a clever angle. It's fairly inconsequential. It's, okay. it's fairly yeah. minimal, but I think for what they're trying to achieve, I think it's pretty effective. Most of this episode ends up to be about Meredith and her father reconciling. Right. And that is not immediately obvious, but it becomes obvious as the show continues through some, uh, I would call them narrative dumps <laughs> near the end in the second half. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of talking. There is a lot of uh, melodrama. Yeah. I would say the melodrama is cranked up to a level that Quantum Leap does not typically enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, does this feel like Quantum Leap? I think more or less it does. And I think if this had gone through a couple script edits and it was yeah. produced with higher production values, I think we'd end up with a fairly serviceable episode of the original series. That's kind of where I'm at on it. The way I look at it is that this guy really tackled too much. I think it was too lofty an attempt. Okay. Quantum Leap, there are plenty of small stories you can tell with Quantum Leap and some of the better episodes are small stories that deal with a family yep. or something of that nature. And to try and take a huge historical event that so many people remember, it's supposed to be a draw towards people watching it, but it opens with a disclaimer that indicates they don't want to offend the royal family. Right. <laughs> Don't they, worry. They make it... They're offended by everything. <laughs> you did it they... before you made this movie, somehow. But if you're having enough thought prior to starting production on this that you're going to need a disclaimer of this kind, maybe write something else. I think you're on to like something. It's, it's too big. Yeah. Trying to pull views by having a familiar event. Yeah. Narratively... If I don't want to play the cynic and just think this was clickbait, right? Having it be about Princess Die was clickbait. If I don't mm -hmm. want to be cynical like that and I just look at the plot of this episode, I think that what Christopher Allen is going for is I got to pick a moment in time that is crucial enough to attract the attention of the government to authorize the reinstatement of Quantum Leap. Okay. But – Going to back to what you were saying, here's another episode of Quantum Leap we talk about a lot, Honeymoon Express, right? right? Which manages to achieve the same sort of thing on the smaller scale that you're talking about. Right, right. It manages to convince somebody in the government to authorize additional funding for Quantum Leap without it being this massive, like, linchpin point in human history, right? Right. So there is a way to do that. I think the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle. It's like you're picking one of the more obvious things of the latter 20th century yeah. to kind of hang this on. I think he chose to try and do too much. And not the least of which being, if you can't get to Paris, don't set your story in Paris. <laughs> well, don't, I mean, yeah. Like, don't die was in Paris, your, right? <laughs> yeah, so. don't film your show in Indiana if you can't get to Paris. <laughs> you know, I like outside of the stock footage you mentioned yeah. and <laughs> coincidentally and comically, like I said, I was scouring the Internet for anything that had anything to do with this guy's film studio. And I actually found a cinematography message board from 2008 
where he is asking if they know where to find stock footage of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, my God. Wow. Look at you. Internet sleuth. None of his websites. They're all defunct now. Sure. All GeoCities. That visitor counter at the bottom. Uh, That's right. Maybe if I'd used Alta Vista to find it, it would have popped. I don't know. That sets me back. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, what you end up with You film a lot of things in a lot of closed rooms without windows. I made a note about 20 minutes in that was Sam has not left a room. Yeah, he's not leaving that hotel room. He never left a room. We saw him in the hotel room. We saw him in the U.S. Embassy. Those are the only Uh, two locations. I thought it was, (laughs) I honestly thought he was like in the lobby of the hotel because that's where they filmed it. (laughs) Yeah, and it mean, you already knew he was in a hotel. That's what I, I corrected it. There's like I typed, he has not left this hotel room. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, this is a different room. And oh, he did go to like the embassy, I guess. I don't know. But the point is, yes, it is in very closed quarters the entire time. There's no point in this episode where you see a person outside. <laughs> that's right. And it's dark. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It limits the way you can shoot things. So Sam leaps into this Mark Human guy. And contrary to everything we've ever heard about what he should do in Quantum Leap, he comes totally clean with Meredith and just says, yeah. look, tomorrow Princess Diana's going to die. We got to stop it. She's like, how do you know this? He's like, you just have to have faith. And she's like, I love you madly. <laughs> Bear in mind, uh. these two met from a personals ad, which for some reason is printed out and clipped with a bunch of other papers in the hotel room, which makes me believe this man is a serial killer that he's linked into. (laughs) But enough about that, because we'll never know. But these two have just met, and she buys everything he says, hook, line, and sinker. It's a little bit wild, but he does just say everything he can, short of saying, I am a time traveler, let's do this. Yeah, and his script is... Blocky in the sense that he knows what scenes he needs to have, but he rushes every goddamn one of them. Yeah, that's true. Like you said, the focus shifts from saving Diana's life to reconciling the relationship between the father and daughter, which isn't clear that it's broken up until it's time to fix it. Until it's time to tell us that it's broken up. Yeah. Right? I mean, they call each other. It seems to be fine. The dad's like... If you're telling me you're pregnant or married, I don't want to hear it. You know, it's like what dad doesn't say stuff like that. Right. Exactly. That's my point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's no reason to think that they're in any kind of estranged relationship. And you don't find that they are until they're in the process of fixing it. Right. Because they run out of time to do anything about it because they're focusing so much on Diana and then also resurrecting Quantum Leap. Yeah, the the resolution comes pretty quick. So what I was going to say is really funny about the whole telling her everything, coming clean about it, going to the embassy, trying to talk to Princess Diana, having her call her dad, who knows Princess Diana because he's a member of parliament. And, right. Um, that's <laughs> just just happens coincidentally. To be, I mean, speaking. that makes that actually made sense. It's like, oh, so that's why Sam is here. Right. Because he's got a connection to parliament here. Maybe. But the why point, not leap into part of her entourage? The point is, there's a scene after all of that has happened. Where she's just sitting there, and he's just kind of standing there, and there's no urgency whatsoever. They're just kind of waiting around. And I'm like, 
Sam Beckett would not just be waiting here for something to happen. Yeah, right. He's a man of action, and he would be trying to fix things or do something. Yeah, and in addition to just outright saying, I'm a time traveler and we need to focus our energies on this, he also just converses with Al with her in the room watching him. And then he tries to play it off. <laughs> and then, he, yeah, he's just having a conversation. And then he walks out into the hall to have the conversation and she suddenly turns on him. It's pretty bonkers. And then she flip-flops again. So she only flips out about it long enough to call her dad and tell him. I think this man may be crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. A, like, to me, as much credit as you're giving it to be better than... Paging Dr. Song. Paging Dr. Song. And I'm not disagreeing with you because at least it's singular in goal. Yes. That's really all I'm saying. (laughs) From a fan film perspective, the one thing that you have 100% control over is the script. And you can write that thing over and over and over again until it's good. Yeah. Really good. And then trying to execute that is maybe where it falls apart. But... The structure of the script is not as good as it should be. And I don't want to shit on something that has like absolutely no production value and it's just some guy out having (laughs) fun. Right. So I I don't mean to be mean, but when you have control above certain things, take control of them. Like somebody needed to reread that script for him and it doesn't feel like they did. No, they just kind of showed up and everybody acted in it. The one question I had. And the dialogue is bad. The one question I had was. As we've talked about, Project Quantum Leap kind of starts back up, reboots, if you will. Yeah. And clearly some of the production budget went into creating what is a very small set for Project Quantum Leap. Sure. But it looks familiar. And it's effective. It is very effective. I'll give it a positive there. And part of the reason it's so effective is that somehow they got Deborah Pratt to reprise the role of Ziggy in this fan film. Hello, Ziggy. Good morning, Dr. Fuller. I was beginning to think I wasn't loved anymore. Never. I don't know. That's nuts. I don't know how they did it. I'm dealing with too many data-limiting factors. And she's only got, like, one or two lines. But I, I immediately made a note of, do you think that they just let her punch up her dialogue? The Ziggy moments ring true to me. My estimates give Dr. Beckett a 98% probability that he is in Paris, France to prevent the death of the Princess of Wales. You're right. It's only like a couple of lines. How much money did it take them to get her? I made a note that I think 85% of the production budget for this film went into getting Deborah Pratt and replicating the leap effect. Yeah, the leap effect doesn't seem like it would be that hard. You could kind of do that with like a G4... Mac from that's just how low budget this thing is that's just how gorilla this thing is and good for them you're you're right it's a passion project the guy's out having fun and he clearly wants to be in the industry though given yes some of the other attempts but give it a positive in that area of building the set you know he's got the opening to the imaging chamber Mm -hmm. that looks like the opening to the imaging chamber and he remembered the little laser with the dome. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the doctor laser. puts her hand on the thing and the laser goes up and you hear Deborah Pratt's voice. I buy all of that for production value on a fan film. Kudos to that scene and that set. Yeah. But you filmed the rest of it in a hotel. <laughs> 
in a dark hotel with heavy curtains. Write something else. <laughs> Hiding the Indiana, the rolling hills of Indiana. <laughs> Sam is from Indiana. Yeah, it's true. He's from <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> Maybe that's why this guy felt so compelled to produce it. Yeah, I don't know what the thought process was there, unless he really thought this was a great idea. I think he thought it was a great title. Yeah, right. A Leap to Die For. 90% of it is the title. I, yeah. I think the idea to do a Quantum Leap fan film came first, and I think the title came next. And then it was just a matter of filling it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with you there. It definitely feels like the script is written to the title. Who's the most effective actor first? Ooh. Ooh. Because they're all really, really raw. They are extremely raw. This is a brutal watch. This is something that I would really have enjoyed watching if it were 20 minutes long. Yeah. 15 minutes long. 45 minutes is... It's a big ask. Yeah. It's a yeah. big ask. All right. So here's what I'll say about the performances. I think the best performance in the whole thing is Chelsea Marie Rogers as Princess Diana. Yeah, me too. All she has to do is act stoic. And she looks like Diana in a sense. She looks like Elizabeth Debicki, the actress who, who played is. the Sovereign in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and 3. She was in Tenet, that blonde British actress who is about eight feet tall in real life. <laughs> oh, okay. Striking, beautiful. Painted, painted gold in the uh, exactly. GOTG. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, the Sovereign Aisha okay. in, in those right, movies. So Chelsea Marie Rogers, obviously, she looks like she's taller than everybody else in the room. She's got that sort of debicki physique but she is actually really effective i think yeah she's good especially this is one of the scenes i will just hand it to this thing okay good there is a scene where sam is just emphatically trying to convince her not to leave the hotel just don't leave the hotel tonight stay here do not leave and she gives a speech that i was like i'm believing this she says, no, I need to go. What would be the point of living if we knew what all the pitfalls are or, or what the, the potential yeah. for disasters are, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good moment. I thought that was really great. And it sold the ending of that particular story in this episode, which is ultimately in the original history, Diana, of course, dies, but she didn't call her kids first. And in this corrected history... She calls her sons and has one last conversation with them. And that's effective and sweet. And it doesn't yeah. alter what we know to be true about Diana's death. And she she yeah. sells it really, really well. I would say runner-up for me in the performance department. And I mean, it's a distant runner-up. Because <laughs> like, I, think, I think Chelsea Marie Rogers does a very, very good job. I think Joshua Ramsey does an okay job as Sam Beckett. I would say he does fine. I think there are some affectations that he manages to capture. He does not possess the charisma of Scott Bakula. No. But no. who does? You know? Fair enough. Is he charismatic? Not really, right? right? Is he a little bit out of character most of the time? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely, but, but I think that's, that's the script. That's the script. Know? It's the fault of the script there. I think he's fine. There are moments in all 45 minutes of this thing where I can hear Sam in that 
You know, I can hear Scott Bakula in that if I try and listen to it again in my brain in that voice. Yes. I can hear it. And I don't know that he's necessarily good, but he's leagues ahead of the guy they got to play Al. Okay. Here's my first comment about Al. Leagues ahead. So Al is weird, okay? Because the first time Al shows up in this episode, he's not Al. Yeah. He is a substitute backup Al that just shows up and then errors out. You get like a blue screen of death from Windows 95 <laughs> and then Al just like glitches literally Windows 95, is, folks. He's not making a joke. No, it's absolutely Windows 95. And I actually think that's hilarious. I laughed at it. It's not bad. It's really, I mean, really it's, funny. And I have to believe it's it intentional. Be, yeah, okay. It's got to okay. be intentional, right? But the first time this Al shows up, I typed in my notes, OMG, this Al guy. And I said he looks like a cross between Dan Hedaya and Ed O'Neill playing Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's what he looks like. That is very oddly specific. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I can't say you're wrong. Holy moly. The guy they got to play Al, I mean, this is one of those... God love him moments, but uh, not quite, guys. No, not yeah, quite. no. He, mi- I think he missed it by a country mile. Nothing about that leads me to believe that's Al Calavici. It was distractingly bad. Did people audition for this? Was it just a let's cast our friends? I don't know, because like most of these actors don't have a lot of other credited roles on the Internet Movie Database. There were two. And special guest stars mentioned special appearances by, of course, uh-huh. Deborah Pratt, who is, right. let's face it, a very special appearance under these circumstances. Yeah, shocking. And then it mentioned Beth Horn. And I'm like, am I supposed to know who that is? And upon closer inspection, the answer is no. I don't think I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Beth Horn <laughs> appears briefly in the mirror of the next leap. At the end of this episode, Sam leaps out. He leaps into the body of a female bodybuilder, I think. And it's Beth Horn, who I don't think I'm supposed to know. But, <laughs> but. she does have... <laughs> she's one of the few actors that has an actual image on Internet Movie Database. That's true. Her and the guy that played Al. That, that guy's got an image on there. Yeesh. Looking pretty dapper. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's wild. The Al one is very funny. A couple of things I really thought were funny about Al in this. There is an attempt at the classic Al ogles the woman Ugh. moment where he yes. looks at Meredith and Sam's response to him is, Al, you're a married man. Yeah. Which was a nice bit of continuity. Yeah, sure. It answers one of our questions, and that's that he's really the same guy. Marriage he's didn't really change this same. guy. He's still a lecherous son of a gun. Yeah. And then... A very funny moment, which cracked me up for all the wrong reasons, was so Al is there as Sam is talking to Princess Diana at the end, the whole impassioned speech that I talked about a few minutes ago, and Al is running the statistics from Ziggy in real time. Oh, it looks like she's, it's only a 17% chance that she dies. Oh, wait, no, it went back up to 100, you know? Yeah. And then literally the next scene, Sam's downstairs in the lobby of this hotel, embassy, whatever you want to call it. And (laughs) Sammy Joe, Samantha Fuller, actually walks up to him and says, 
Dr. Beckett and he's like, oh, what? Who are you? And then they have this conversation. He's like, where is Al? She says, Al had to go to his grandson's birthday party. Right the fuck now? He had to go to a birthday party? He was right. just there five minutes ago <laughs> in yeah. full admiral regalia and he had to go to a birthday party <laughs> right <laughs> like sure right. just you... tell me he had to go to the john like he had to go to the bathroom and i thought i'd sneak in here and say hello to you for a moment it would require a full scale rewrite but they brought dr beaks into the imaging chamber before yeah and he couldn't hear her and right and she had to hold al's hand that's right. In order That's for right. him to see her. You know, do something like that. Something that nods back to what you know. Like if you're doing a fan film that's supposed to represent Quantum Leap, do the things that you know Quantum Leap does. You know? Right. Like, they use the right sound effects to a good degree. Oh, they use the hell out of the Ziggy sound effects, the little hand link sound effects. Yeah. The, the hand yeah. link sound effects are just so loud and persistent before you've even seen Al. It's like you right. just keep hearing the sound effect. We know he's there. <laughs> <laughs> Some real budgetary constraints. There is one outdoor shot in this movie. Right. The president. That also falls into the category of writing too big. Yes. We didn't need any of that. I don't need to see the president of the United States on Quantum Leap. I don't need that. No, we, like, I don't think you needed any of that. Like the revival goes far enough to have somebody come from a Senate subcommittee on time travel or whatever she was. <laughs> Senate subcommittee whatever on time travel. It was. Who would be in I, charge of that? In I, in the what, what did she do? What was that senator that came visiting that had the brother killed in a car accident? Yes. And magic basically bribed her into continuing to back the project. I mean, that's workable, but I don't need to see the president because, again, you're not in Washington. You're in Indiana. Yeah, You're showing me the boardroom that you rented out from some... (laughs) It looked like a dining room. Yeah. Yeah. It's golly. So I try to put my head in the space that this was produced, and it's produced Mm -hmm. in 2008. Obama is ascending to the presidency... Mm-hmm. It's a very, very different political time. People were optimistic for the last time in recorded history. <laughs> and I think there is a degree to which this script is written as a reflection of that, because now it's hard to look at that moment and fit any politician would want to do anything altruistic with Project Quantum Leap. I'm going to bring it right back to Indiana Jones. And the best of my knowledge, I have not seen the movie yet. By the time you hear this, I will have seen the movie. But Dial of Destiny is about a guy who has a device to turn back the clock and help the Nazis win World War II. I did not know that. Thanks for the spoiler. I am pretty sure that's what this is about. (laughs) And so I think that if you hand any modern politician the keys to a time travel machine, who is using that for a purpose that would be universally hailed as altruism? You said before we started recording that we couldn't go an hour on this. To be fair, we talked about The Flash for a solid 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are two more things that I want to mention. Sure. um, Sure. Before we get out the door here, which is, one, it's sorely missing the music. And I I assume it was a rights thing where they couldn't use the opening titles, but Bittersweet Symphony that's by why, The Verb. I was going to say, that's why it's not a rights thing, because they did not bat an eye at using Bittersweet Symphony in the opening scene, 
and they did not bat an eye at using what was it at the very end hungry like the wolf duran duran everybody uses hungry like the wolf. <laughs> yeah it's one of those is it like in the <laughs> public domain now that? i'm pretty sure that's public domain simon lebon said oh who cares um, it's a that the verve though not only is it not the music that you expect for Quantum Leap, but it's they could have used Mbop. Why didn't they use it? <laughs> <laughs> because they're trying to build up the gravity of this story. All right. So here's what they should have used. If you're going for the obvious choice that doesn't quite fit when you listen to the lyrics, but somebody making an indie film definitely would have thought of and used instead of Bittersweet Symphony, Wonderwall by Oasis. <laughs> I was going to say that they should have used our theme song. Oh, yeah. Why why didn't they use that? Which is is ridiculously close to Quantum Leap. I don't don't know how we found that, folks. I I adore it. Yeah, I I like it too. But just the same. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that, what did we say this director's name was? Christopher Allen. Chris Allen. Christopher Allen. He, in my estimation, had much greater success doing a fan film of Star Trek versus Batman. Wow. How about that? He put something together that was the original series Star Trek meets the 66 Batman. And he's got a replica of the Batmobile, like an actual Batmobile. And about 40% of a great replica of the bridge. That's kind of all you need. Like you just have to shoot it from one angle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's what he does. He shoots it from one angle, and it's very believable. It's a great set, and he uses all the music that's familiar from both shows. The story itself is like, yeah, all right, the Joker takes over the Enterprise. Of course he does. Of course he he, really. I just want to interject here and say that if you had the Joker versus Khan Noonien Singh, I mean. The Joker is not walking away from that fight. I'm sorry. (laughs) So in terms of people who have taken over the Enterprise, Khan is still number one. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It's not nearly as difficult a watch as this Quantum Leap thing is. And it's much of it shot outside. Costuming is good. And the guy that plays Sam plays Kirk. Oh, same dude. Okay, so they are buddies. Same dude. They are friends. Okay. They must be buddies or... He's hiring from the same pool because it's community theater. That's my guess. That's it. That's it. The Rasco players. I mean, how many professional actors are in this small town in Indiana? That being said, I'm really impressed by the production value of that as compared to this. It's actually kind of a fun nod. And he makes those two things seem to fit together in a believable way. So that I enjoyed. He's much more successful at that, but it's cartoony and you don't have to have the gravitas of a drama. Yeah. It's just a bunch of goofy shit on the screen. Yeah, I can see that being more successful. I was just, I'm just scrolling through my notes and I remember the moment where Al talks about Diana's death and says it was awful and I don't want to have to go through it again. Right? Did we go through it? Like, I mean, it's, yes. Was it awful? Absolutely. Was it a cripplingly awful moment in my life? Not really. I mean, like, (laughs) not any more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, honest to God, the only time a celebrity has died 
outside of like a creative that I'm like, oh, that's too. Uh, bad. There's a like lot George of that. Perez, yeah, George Perez, you know, like, Neil Adams. There were so many last year. Recently, that was just like yeah, Tim Sale. Yeah, I forgot about that. Here we are again talking about comic creators uh, who passed away. Well, it's John Romita yeah, Senior the- just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, these are people that I've interacted with their art enough to be like, oh, that's a shame. I'm not holding a vigil, but I'm kind of like, that's a shame. And the only Hollywood person or whatever that that I ever had that feeling with was Adam West. Yeah. For some reason, Adam West hit me that way. And I don't know necessarily why. But that's the only time I've actually had some kind of like, oh, man. Yeah. The the two that I hate to see him go. The two that I can think of off the top of my head were Leonard Nimoy and uh, Prince. Okay. When Prince died. Yeah. I remember where I was and what I was doing the moment I saw that. Yeah, that kicked my wife's heart and Michael Jackson as well. For oh her. god, we were watching that on TV. It was it was like yeah, yeah, it, but yeah it was that was deeply impactful. It was one of those just touchstone moments. And I think Diana, right. yeah, I mean, I was in high school at the time. I was a senior in high school. I've got a lot going on. My interest in and familiarity with the British royal family is not something I think about. Well, maybe then it was a crippling blow to the uh yeah. The generation of Al Calavici. Maybe so. I what do I know, know about boomers? Obviously yeah. <laughs> nothing. I don't understand why they vote the way they know, do. <laughs> even those things like Prince and Michael Jackson, and even the creators that I'm really sad to see go, like none of that I would consider a crippling blow right. that I don't want to go through again. Right. I mean, the worst thing about Michael Jackson passing away is that suddenly it's okay to play his music on the radio again. Right. For a brief window of time, it was okay. <laughs> it's clear that you understand the show to some degree and that you love the show. Yeah, that's the bigger thing. And we'd like to see people take a shot at this. There's all kinds of Star Wars. There's all kinds of Star Trek fan films out there. A lot of this stuff can be really fun to delve into, and I wish there was some Quantum Leap stuff out there. This was the only one I could find, and when I saw it was 45 minutes long, I was like, hey. It's just another episode. This will be a lot of fun, but yeah, it was a, that was a trudge. Still better than Paging Doctor's song. So the thing about Al going to see his grandkid at the end, here's another reason that we didn't need that. Because we okay. already got the shout out to Al's grandkids earlier in the episode when we learn that one or maybe all of his grandchildren got peanut butter on his hand link. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Which was another See, moment I laughed at. Yeah, that's nice, though. I'm glad you pointed out another thing. I feel like that is pretty good, actually. You know, just a little nod like that is is kind of cool. There's things peppered in throughout this. Like the fact that Gushy is in this episode, but nobody ever refers to him, and he only appears in the background. But it's Gushy. Really? Working at the project behind the Ziggy construct that is intended to be Gushy. And in fact, he's credited as such in the end credits. Oh, okay. So, that so I, Gushy is there. I guess I missed that. There is somebody that Samantha Fuller is bossing around. And that's somebody else. I don't know who that was. It makes for a, it makes for an episode of Oh Boy. And I would say, script notwithstanding, I have seen worse independent projects and I myself have probably been in a couple of worse independent oh, really? film projects. No kidding. I've, I've been in a couple that are definitely better. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing about making a short film, uh, making an independent film project. First of all, stick to a short film. 
write a script that is 10 minutes long tops and know your limitations and work within those limitations. Those are the biggest right. tenets, I think, of independent filmmaking. That's why Kevin Smith filmed all of Clerks inside a convenience store in the middle of the night. Yeah. Those were his yeah. limitations. And it works for Clerks. It does not work for this. Right? No, because you've set your story in a city people need to see. What if Clerks actually did not take place in Red Bank, New Jersey, and it took place in Paris the whole time and we just didn't know? <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah. Well, the shutters are jammed Parisian shut. convenience store. Hey, there's one other thing that annoyed me. Okay. When when they go to the embassy and are like, hey, hello, I would like to speak to Princess Diana, please. <laughs> Sam asks this woman about this. And then Meredith's response is, I didn't know you spoke Parisian. Yeah. That's that's French. The language is called French. <laughs> <laughs> there's no language called Parisian unless there's something I completely miss, like people in Paris. We call it French. Thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But because we can, and we're on what I've considered a schedule, <laughs> and one that Brian has agreed to, so he suffered his way through this project here because I put it on the schedule. And you know what's on the schedule for next week? I don't. No, I didn't look. What? What is it? We are watching The Pilot to Highway to Heaven. Wow. Episode one. Holy mackerel. Yeah. That is going to be something. Something I've never seen. I don't know that I've ever seen it. I mean, I've seen yeah. episodes of this show for sure, but I don't know that I ever saw the very first episode of it. I don't know if I've ever seen an episode of Highway to wow. Heaven. I mean, I still remember the theme song. I, I, it's lodged in my brain. I, I This will be fun. This will be interesting. Yeah, I think it'll be good. We had a lot of success when we watched the pilot to Sliders. Yeah. And this is a very, as you like to say, quantum leap adjacent. It's the same basic premise. A loner wandering from place to place, fixing things, Helping people. being altruistic, yeah. being friendly, and being supportive with his uh, lovable sidekick. Yeah. That's what quantum leap is. That's what a positive influence. Yeah. I wonder how much of quantum leap's DNA is embedded in this show. I wonder how many people are going to actually come back for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if uh, <laughs> Paprika's resident 50-year-old man, Pete Lentz, will even come back for that one. That'll be an interesting Come in one. for it. Watch it and come talk about it with us. Michael Landon, guys. If you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, I guess that's possible. If you've never heard of this show and you've never heard of Michael Landon, just Google Michael Landon and you are going to see the most lustrous head of hair that you have ever seen in your life and the most chiseled jawline you've ever seen in your life. The man is just an Adonis. That's right. He was just a good-looking guy. And it will give you a reason to warm up your Peacock app again. Yeah. I don't know that I've opened it since Quantum Leap went to hiatus. I think I watched Megan. Was that on Peacock? Maybe. I think so. But Poker Face is over and Quantum Leap is over. I've had no reason to open this thing. I'm yeah, we're all, wasting $4 We're a month. all on Paramount right now, I guess. The interest has shifted over to Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Are you watching Not that? yet. Yeah, me I don't neither. watch anything, man. <laughs> I know. You don't have time. I don't have time because I'm busy watching Quantum Leap fan films. Anyway, um, <laughs> folks... Thanks for listening. Uh, remember, My apologies. you can always email us if you have a mind to. Give us some pointers. What would you like to see us tackle? 
That would be something, a Quantum Leap-adjacent project that you might like to see. As you know, we did Source Code last time. We're talking about Highway to Heaven next time. What's something that's in the realm of Quantum Leap that you'd like to see us tackle? Let us know. You can email us at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, unfortunately, still there. (laughs) I am at Captain Burn, C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N. And I'm at Action Nate. And yeah. We'll see you next time, guys. Until then, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we'll be here in the waiting room. You didn't spend any time looking for Quantum Leap comics. No, I only had I urged about you about an hour to long box dive and true story. And this is the magic of going to Heroes Con. Here's how I long box dive. For those of you who don't collect comics. How dare you? Yeah, I mean, first of all, what are you thinking? Second of all, good for you. But um, (laughs) so long boxes, the big long boxes, obviously, that comic books are stored in. When you go to a comic convention, there's vendor after vendor set up with all of these long boxes at their table filled with back issues. And folks like myself will thumb through those back issues to try to find older comics to fill the gaps in their meaningless collections. Meaningless? What I do, this is my strategy when I'm going and long box diving, is every vendor will have a wall behind them of higher value key books. Right. I will gauge the prices on those wall books and determine whether I want to waste my time long box diving at their place. Because I saw no lie, and this is only going to make sense to about 1% of our listeners, at a convention once, I saw a copy of Sleepwalker Number 1 from 1992, 1991 uh-huh. even, yeah. um, on a wall for $100. And no. I said, I am not shopping here. Folks, that is an $8 book at I best. Was, yeah, I was about to say, that couldn't be in double digits. I was going to give it like 15 like it, $15 maybe. Y- maybe. Maybe. Did anybody um, read Sleepwalker? Nobody <laughs> <I> but <mean>. me. <laughs> I read 25 whole issues of that book before I bailed. I used to give one of my friends a hard time for liking Sleepwalker, Sophie Campbell, who is now... Uh, a, okay. She, she is now the regular artist on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, uh, so yes she, she knows, is. She knows talent. And she knows green creatures <laughs> that slink about in the darkness. But yeah, she was a Sleepwalker fan. Man, I I don't even think Bob Budinsky read Sleepwalker and he wrote the thing. (laughs) The only thing I know about Sleepwalker is the Marvel card. That's the only reason I know, because of the Marvel collector card. So Sleepwalker was a character that had a host named Rick Sheridan. And when Rick would fall asleep. Like a leap host? Not quite. Uh Rick would fall asleep (laughs) and then Sleepwalker would come out. And the second Rick woke up, Sleepwalker would vanish. So he could be in the middle of busting a crime ring. And if Rick woke up. Yeah. It's done. Like, Sleepwalker is done. It's an Wait, interesting It wasn't concept. Rick Jones. Who? Rick who? Uh, Rick, Sheridan was his not name. Not Rick Jones. As I recall, okay. Rick Sheridan. But it's a very similar association between the two of them as Rick Jones and Captain Marvel. Right. Who would hit the negabands together and switch places. Right. A little bit more control there than you might find with Sleepwalker. But my point is, <laughs> I will gauge the wall books and determine whether or not I want a long box dive at this particular vendor. I found a vendor... The wall book seemed below the median price, the going okay. price for a lot of things. So I was like, I'm going to check this place. I ended up thumbing through, finding a few books. This guy comes up next to me and no lie, we remembered each other 
having met at virtually the exact same spot in the convention center last year, long box diving. It's the only time we've ever met each other in our lives. <laughs> but we remembered each other from that moment. And that's the magic of a show like Heroes Con. That's really, really right. comics focused as you just run into these people over again. And it's like you're, oh, hey, look who it is. Yeah. So that was my whole flash weekend. Yeah. Heroes Con is a convention that I did not miss from like 1994 to 2001. That was a golden era. Summer, yeah. Well into my college years. But adulthood has made it a little more difficult to get back there. Oh, sure. If I didn't live here, it'd be really tough. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's a great show. Just big enough to have people there that are going to be interesting, but small enough to not feel overwhelming. No, you can go to a show like this and have conversations with people who are, as far as comic book goes, the equivalent of rock stars, you know? And people you want to talk to. Like, imagine if you could go to a convention and have a 15-minute conversation with Mick Jagger. Yeah. Heroes Con is like that for comics. Saturday night, I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark in concert here. So Saturday night of Heroes Con, I was there. But in between the convention and going to the symphony to watch this incredible performance of the best movie ever made, I go to get food and who walks in but Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas was the editor-in-chief of Marvel. He wrote most of the books in the late 60s and throughout the 70s. He was the heir apparent to like Stan Lee in writing all of these books in the 70s. He is a formative piece of Marvel Comics. And here he is, just eaten at this joint. And it's like, that's what I love about it. The similar story I have about Heroes Con is seeing Jim Steranko out at like two in the morning. Steranko. Man was that guy dressed to the nines. He had like all black with a black turtleneck and a blazer, and he's just walking with like a entourage of people. Down he is his- the he's the only regular at Heroes Con that can call women dames and broads and get away with it. <laughs> like you just and let him have it. <laughs> stands at the convention all day long. Then he's out at two in the morning, still having drinks. And this man's what? Got to be like 90 plus. <laughs> he's he's up, there. up there. Actually, he was the conceptual artist who designed the original look of Indiana Jones, too. A yeah, lot of yeah. Indiana Jones going on that weekend. It's the right summer for it, I guess. Yeah. So but anyway, The Flash. The Flash. <laughs> <laughs> so I did watch The Flash once the Heroes Con dust settled.